chapter that each week we've noted that each of the signs that we're looking at is a miracle that Jesus did. But the miracle itself is not the real point. It's not just a miracle for the sake of a miracle, but it's something that is pointing us to something else, telling us something we need to understand about God and his kingdom. So this week we've reached John chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 15 verses. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. It will be on the screen for you. Afterwards, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda, which had five covered colonnades. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay in the colonnades. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to be carrying that sleeping mat. But he replied, Well, the man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know because Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But later, Jesus found him again in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. And the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, will you come and help us this morning? Come and breathe your life into these words so that we can encounter you. And you can come and bring change in us. We know that you reveal yourself to us in scripture. If only we have eyes to see and ears to hear. So come and reveal yourself to us this morning, we pray. So that we might see you more clearly. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this is quite a perplexing incident, really, that we've just read. It's not obvious to us what it means, what's really going on here, but obviously it must mean something because John has chosen it as one of his signs. So Jesus is at this place in Jerusalem called the Pool of Bethesda. So this uh, would have a pool of water at the center and is surrounded by these colonnades or porticos. And it would probably be reminiscent for us perhaps of a crowded A&E department or maybe a doctor's waiting room, because lying in these porticos are large numbers of sick and disabled people. This is where they gather. And the reason they all come here is they're all hoping to get their turn to dash into the water. Our reading just now didn't tell us the reason why they wanted to get into the water, but there's a footnote in the NIV that tells us that at certain intervals, 
um, the, the, there would be a mysterious disturbance of the water. It would seem to move on its own. It was probably fed by an underground stream, uh, and that was probably what caused this movement. But a tradition had risen up that when that happened, it was the presence of an angel that was making the water move. And then there was a belief that the first person into the water, when that happened, they would be healed. There's a bit of folklore, really. There were quite a few pools like this with this kind of healing myth that was associated with them. And in a time when medical knowledge was pretty non-existent, medical treatment was pretty non-existent or pretty basic, if you were ill or if you suffered from any kind of chronic, ongoing condition, a pool like this, with this kind of healing myth, a bit of a lottery really, but it was the best hope you had. It was the only hope you had. So it wasn't a popular tourist attraction, this pool. It was a place for sickness and infirmity and, it, and for people who had nowhere else to go. And Jesus goes there. We don't know why, but he goes there. And when he's there, he picks out this one man. And we know, we hear, that this man is a long-term resident of this waiting room. He's had this condition for 38 years, we're told. Because life expectancy was shorter then. That was pretty sure to be most of his life, if not all of his life. And Jesus asks him, does he want to get well? And the man explains that he can never get well because he can't get into the water quickly enough. There's never anyone to help him. Someone else always gets there first. But Jesus isn't really interested in the water. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk, he says to the man. And the man does. And it's only then in the passage that John mentions that the day when this took place was the Sabbath. It was the holy day, the day when it was forbidden to do anything that might look like work, such as carrying a mat. So the, the Jewish culture and, and their identity really as a community was founded on three things, three religious practices. One was circumcision. The second was um, some food laws that, that laid down what you could and could not eat. And the third one was observance of the Sabbath. And breaking the Sabbath law, even just carrying a sleeping mat, that would be seen as a blatant law-breaking act. And so when the Pharisees see this man walking merrily along carrying his mat... That would be seen as a blatant violation of the holy law. And so they challenge him about it. Oi, what do you think you're doing carrying that mat? They're not interested at all in the fact that he's been healed. What they're interested in is that he seems to be breaking the religious laws by carrying his mat on a Sabbath. Well, it's nothing to do with me, says the man. Some man told me to carry it. And that would just wind them up even more. Well, who was that? Who told you to carry your mat on the Sabbath? Who told you to break the law? 
But the man doesn't know who it was who healed him. And Jesus has slipped away and disappeared back into the crowd. But then Jesus finds the man again later on when the coast is clear and he tells him that he needs to change. We're not told what it was about this man's life or his attitudes or his behavior that needed to change, but clearly there is something. A bit later in John, in John chapter 9, which we'll come to in a couple of weeks' time, um, when Jesus heals a man there who had been blind from birth, Jesus in that incident clearly refutes the teaching and the belief that, um, that people had that sickness and disability was caused by sin and that the reason why that man was blind was because either he or his parents must have sinned. And Jesus is very clear in that incident that his blindness has got nothing to do with that. And so it's a bit confusing for us here when we see here that Jesus tells this man that he's healed to stop sinning. I think that it's telling us that although sickness and disability is not caused by sin, that doesn't mean that the sick or disabled person is any more immune to sin in their life than anyone else. So this man here is not some kind of saint. The condition that he has doesn't make him saintly. He's got character flaws and wrong attitudes and wrong things in his life just like everyone else. Suffering from something that isn't your fault doesn't mean that you're exempted from also having things in your life which aren't good but that are down to you. And what this is showing us, I think, is that Jesus is just as interested in those things, in healing and wholeness on the inside, as he is in healing and wholeness on the outside. It's not enough to just get the physical bit sorted out, because although that may be the most obvious thing, it's really not the only thing. He needs to get himself sorted out on the inside as well, in his heart and his character. Let's go back to the start of the story again, and we're going to think this through again. Let's look first at this man, the man himself. And we notice that Jesus takes the initiative here. This man hasn't come to Jesus to ask for healing. He's just going about his normal day lying near the pool, waiting for the water to move. He doesn't actually seem to know who Jesus is. So of all the people around the pool that day, why does Jesus pick this one guy out? He doesn't seem to be showing any faith. He doesn't actually know who Jesus is. And he comes across as quite an unlikable character, really. He shows no faith in Jesus. Um, he shows no gratitude that we can see for what Jesus does for him. And when the Pharisees confront him, he immediately puts the blame onto the man who healed him, a man whose name he hasn't even bothered to find out. And when he meets Jesus again later and he does find out who he is, he immediately then informs on him to the authorities about who it was who had broken the law. So why? 
does Jesus pick out this pretty unattractive character out of all the others who were there that day? Well, we're not given any reason. But I think this really seals the deal for us on that thing that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that God doesn't think in terms of deserving and undeserving. And that means that we have to fight against this kind of inbuilt moral outrage that we have, that God's grace shouldn't be for the undeserving. We would instinctively want to reject this man. But this is a picture of God's love. By showing love to this guy who's kind of a Judas figure, really, Jesus is showing us what we need to understand about God's love. And I think this is one of the sign elements of this story. Just as Jesus later on pours out love and grace on Judas at the Last Supper, washing his feet and serving him bread and wine, the same as all the others. He offers his healing and his grace to this man who seems to only be interested in himself. And John wants us to see that and to understand that. That when we think, when our thought patterns are in terms of deserving and undeserving, when we do that, we are misunderstanding God's love and God's character and how his grace works. John says that when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he'd been in this condition for a long time. Now, the word that's used in the Greek means that Jesus supernaturally knew about this man's life. It doesn't mean that he found out about him by chatting to him or by talking to other people. When he saw him, he knew him. He knew about his life. He knew his heart, just like he did when he met the Samaritan woman by the well. And he knew her. He knew her story and her life. Jesus is able to look at us and see us and know us from the inside. To know our story. And know what we've got hidden away inside. And the question that he asks the man comes out of that. Jesus understands this man's inner character better than he does himself. Because he sees the truth about us that sometimes we aren't able to see for ourselves. And because of that, he asks him a very particular question. Do you want to get well? And the man answers with a bit of a complaint, really. He's a bit of a moan. He says that, of course, he does, but it's definitely not his fault that he hasn't. He's helpless because of this awful condition he has. And actually, it's kind of other people's fault as well because there's never anyone there to help him. I want us to notice those two things in that response. I am helpless in the face of this awful thing that blights my life. And actually, it's other people's failure 
that means I can't get well. Jesus is asking him a deeper question than whether he wants to get into the water. Jesus knows that this man has been like this for a very long time and that he has developed a way of being, a way of thinking, a way of comforting himself, that everything in his life is down to him getting a raw deal or else it's someone else's fault. And that's what really lies behind Jesus' question. Beneath his surface question is a deeper question which says, is being well really what you want? Because your life and the person that you are is more than just your physical situation or your circumstances. And getting well means more than just getting your legs to work. It means sorting things out on the inside. Facing up to some things that you've been avoiding and dealing with them. Do you really want to get well with all the implications of that? Or would you actually rather settle for this level of existence because you're kind of comfortable with it and it doesn't ask too much of you. It's not too demanding. Jesus is asking him to take responsibility. Because although we'd never admit it to ourselves or anyone else, it is easy for us to settle for how things are and tell ourselves and other people that the reason why we can't get well, why things don't get better for us, well, it's all down to things that we can't control or other people and what they have said and done. Rather than to really face up to the real me and the things that I need to sort out in me. I can make you well, Jesus says. I can sort out part of it, but you need to take responsibility. Being well will bring new responsibilities. We all have this avoidance thing that we do. We avoid facing up to things that are hard, that we don't want to face about ourselves. And it's much, much easier to fall back on putting the blame on someone else for what's wrong in our lives and the things that we struggle with that we've never managed to conquer. Rather than realizing and accepting that maybe some change is needed in me. Blame them, it's their fault. Blame is the easiest strategy we have for dealing with things that we find difficult or that we find stressful because it takes all of the difficulty and the stress away from us if we can just blame it on someone else's faults. I'm not saying that other people don't say and do damaging things. We can't change what's in our past, but we can choose how we react, how we respond and how we want to live in the future and the person that we want to be. We can 
take responsibility for ourselves now. There's a quote coming up on the screen now. This is from Patrick Ness. To say that you have no choice is to relieve yourself of responsibility. And it's this avoidance thing that we do that kids us that this thing in my life is not my fault. It's all the fault of someone else or circumstances that are not my fault. That keeps us trapped. And it stops us from actually moving on and really growing as a person. Jesus is wanting to offer this man abundant life. Life that breaks out of the limitations and the boundaries that he's always had. But for that to happen, he needs more than just physical healing. He needs more than just sorting out his circumstances. Do you want to continue living like this, says Jesus, or do you want to live differently? Do you really want to live differently? Because the kind of life you say you want is going to involve facing up to some truths about yourself and having the courage to change yourself. The man in this story is a serial avoider. So he blames other people for his situation when Jesus first speaks to him. He blames Jesus, the man who had healed him, when he gets into trouble for carrying his mat. And he goes further than that, and he trades in Jesus' name when he finds it out to get himself off the hook and put himself in the clear. It takes a certain kind of mindset to do that. And it's a mindset that we're all prone to. As I thought about the three signs that we've looked at so far, it occurred to me that the person being helped in each of them, they all had to lose something. It was only when their own wine was gone that Jesus provided new wine. They had to come to the end of their own resources first. And then the Roman official that we heard about last week, he had everything to lose by coming to Jesus as he did. His position, his job, his reputation, his pride. He had to lay all of that down before coming to Jesus to ask for his help. This man today, it seems like he had everything to gain from this encounter and nothing to lose. But even for him, there's going to have to be some things that he lets go of before he can receive the full healing and blessing of Jesus and for his life really to be changed. He has to lose some stuff too. What are you holding on to that you're going to have to let go of and move on from in order for Jesus' life-giving transformation to come? What thoughts have you comforted yourself with that it's all someone else's fault 
rather than taking responsibility for yourself. In verse 14, in the second part of this encounter, Jesus is advising the man to start living in a different way. When he asks us the question, do you want to get well, we can answer, well, yes, definitely, I want to get well, but don't ask me to change anything about myself or my attitudes, my behavior, my thoughts, because that's out of the question. Don't ask me to admit any faults in myself. Or we can answer, yes, definitely, I want to get well. And I realize that I need to take responsibility to change the things within me that need changing and stop avoiding and deceiving myself. Unless we do that, our lives can never be fully healed in the way that Jesus wants. We'll always be crippled by those things that we just don't want to acknowledge and take responsibility for. Jesus doesn't want those things to be brought out into the light to condemn us. He doesn't want to punish you for them. It's so that you can finally get past them and break their hold on you that's been holding you back and stopping you from really growing emotionally and spiritually. There is a pearl of great price within you, hidden inside you, inside all of us. But we will never find it unless we lose something, unless we surrender those thoughts and ideas and things that we've used to barricade ourselves in and avoid the discomfort. The theologian Richard Rohr says this, that authentic and mature religion is always about your transformation. In its full meaning, it is always saying, you are the one who must change. And that's what Jesus is wanting this man and us to understand that to grow and mature in our faith, we need to move on from the avoidant thinking that it's everyone else who needs to change. And if only they would change, then everything would be much better. It's about your transformation. From the limitations that you've been living with and perpetuating to the deeper fuller life and growth that Jesus offers you. Do you want to get well? Do you want those things that give you pain and that you struggle with and never seem to get better? Do you want to be able to grow and move beyond them? Then we need to stop avoiding. Stop avoiding what we don't want to admit about ourselves and take responsibility. And then you will finally be able to break through your glass ceiling and really begin to grow and flourish 
in the way you've always wished you could, but never quite managed. The man here believed Jesus enough to do what he says. He does what some of us never want to do. He follows the instructions. He actually does it. In that moment, before he gets up, he's got no idea if it's actually going to work, but he does it. He obeys the instructions. He doesn't try to negotiate or quibble. He doesn't try to put it off and say, well, I'll do it next week. He stands up and he walks. The one thing that he is unable to do is what Jesus now tells him to do. He doesn't ask him to do the thing that he could do on his own. The one thing that he is unable to do is what Jesus asks him to do. And so that's a step of faith. To hear the instructions and choose to obey them, even though you have no certainty whether it's going to work. He had a choice, this man. He could have dismissed Jesus as crazy or not worth listening to and stayed on his mat. And there he would have stayed for the rest of his life. So how about you? Will you believe what Jesus says and step forward? The thing you can't do is the thing you need to do. Take responsibility. Take just one step like this man did because you have to take one step before you can take any more. Take one step and see what happens. Let's pray. Jesus, may we hear your voice in our hearts as you speak to us. Will you shine your light and show us where we need to take responsibility so that we can finally break three of the things that have held us back? Change the things in us that need to change so that we can grow and thrive. And we long for that. We long for that growth and that flourishing. So will you show us and help us what it is that we need to do? In Jesus' name, amen.